0: You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. Any chronicles of Narnia fans Any like books, movies, doesn't matter, right? Uh, books are better. Go figure. That's always true. But uh, Whether you've watched the movies or read the books, either way, even if you haven't, you probably know about Aslan, right? Aslan is the big lion. He's actually like this, Uh, To say he's the king of the jungle is an understatement. He's like this all-powerful creator, savior. He's a Christ figure. And early on in the very first book, uh, before Aslan has kind of arrived on the scene as a character, remember Mr. Beaver says about him, says that they say Aslan is on the move. And that is very true. Throughout all the books, like Aslan is on the move. He's on the go. He's doing stuff. He's up to something. And that's very appropriate because, as I already said, Aslan is a Christ figure. So go figure. He's on the move. He's on the go. Let me tell you, do you, let me tell you something about your God. Did you know that your God is on the move? That your God is on the go. Go is just what God does. I mean, when you look at the Bible, starts out Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning, God created. Like he just starts speaking and things are flying out. Like God is on the go. And then he uh, leads Israel out of slavery, and when he does, he Tangibly, like his manifest presence shows up in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, and he visibly leads them. He's on the go. And when you read in Exodus and Numbers, when God moved, they moved. When God stopped, they stopped. God was on the go. And what the Israelites learned is that they had a God on the go, and if you wanted to keep up with your God, you had to go. And all throughout the Old Testament, then God is up to stuff, speaking, doing things. He's on the go. And then that didn't change with the New Testament. In fact, it's like God up the ante. He came in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the, the New Testament begins with the Gospels, and you see Jesus is on the go. And the disciples, they learn pretty quick that if you're going to keep up with Jesus, you're going to have to go. So they did. And so what do you have then in the Bible is from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, all the way into Revelation 22, the very end of the Bible. God is on the go. In fact, Revelation 22, it ends with Jesus saying, Surely I am coming soon. And amen to that. Come, Lord Jesus, come. What we learn from the scriptures is God is on the go. Jesus was explicit about it. Here's John chapter 5, verse 17. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working. Now, as an English speaker, you probably misread that verse. You think, so now the father's not working because it's just until now? Let me tell you about the Greek there for until now. It literally means always, never ceasing. So some translations will capture that better and say, my father is always working and I am working also. God is on the go always, never ceasing. So if you are going to be his follower, guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to go. You're going to have to go, that's right. What was the last commandment that Jesus gave to the church before he ascended? We call it the Great Commission, and you see it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. What's the first word? It's go. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptize them, teach them, and then Jesus gives a promise and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Jesus was so serious about them going, you realize at first they didn't. He said go, they said stay. And so they camped out in Jerusalem. And so God, he was so serious, he allowed persecution to break out on his own church. And it had the effect of scattering them. And guess what they did? Go. And then they did. They went. And now we have Acts. And what you see in Acts is the disciples are on the go. The gospel is on the go. But when they went, who went with them? Look at the last sentence up there. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus was with them. You know why? Because Jesus is on the go. Jesus is on the go. And and when you go, you understand you can't outpace God. Like there's no one saying, well, God said go, so I went, but I'm really fast, so I outran him. (laughs) Not a thing. Just not a thing. So a commandment to go is really a commandment to come along, to, to go with him. You understand this. If you say no to the go, you say no to being close to God because God's on the go. And If you want to be with God, you have to go. This is why the word go is enshrined in our mission statement for our church. You've maybe seen this before. Know Jesus personally. Grow in your relationship with him and go. Go advance his kingdom. So just like the Israelites in the Old Testament, just like the disciples in the New Testament, if you want to follow a God who is on the go, you must go. You gotta go. No, this, it's not punishment. It's opportunity. It is our wonderful, incredible God inviting us to come along to join his incredible story, his wonderful mission, his wild adventure. And he's saying, come along. But but to do that, you have to go. So what we're going to do as a church, as we hit pause on 2 Corinthians for just a little bit, we're going to take this week and the next four weeks, five weeks total, to talk about go. And the reason why is because we want Christians on the go. We want a church on the go. Why? Because... We serve, worship, and love a God who is on the go. Five weeks total. This is the first week. What we're going to talk about today is purpose. Purpose. Now, here's the big idea I want you to catch. God made you on purpose. So live your life on purpose purpose. See, God is a God of purpose, so he made you on purpose, and and one of the secrets is to figure out that purpose in order to live your life on purpose, and let's talk through those things a little bit. God is a God of purpose, so you understand God, yes, God is on the go, but God is not like some over-caffeinated chipmunk. Right? He's just running around in circles. He's just all hyped up. right? Purposeless activity. Boy, God's really moving, but there's no direction. No, that's not a thing. God moves on purpose. God moves with purpose. And you see that in Isaiah 46, verse 10. Speaking of himself, he said, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose purpose. Yeah, God's on the go, but he's not random, right? He, he's not winging it. He's not confused. He's not just throwing stuff at the wall, trying to see what sticks. He's moving with incredible purpose. Here's something I want you to catch about your God. He is in, he's in infinitely wise. He's incredibly purposeful. He knows exactly what he's up to. Now, you ready for this? Let me repeat that. I'm saying he's infinitely wise, he's incredibly purposeful, he knows exactly what he's up to. Ready? And he made you on purpose. You ever think about this? The fact that you exist was a willful decision of God like there was a moment in the mind of God when he decided to make you not just to create humanity in general but like specifically to have you in his created order you understand he could have done the whole universe in all human history and you never needed to exist but that's not what he wanted He's purposeful, and he purposely chose to have you in this creation. That means you were created on purpose for a purpose. You specifically. Proverbs 16, verse 4 says this. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. You see, God is not random. Even unbelievers (laughs) evidently have a purpose. I'm kind of hoping you all are on the top part of that. (laughs) The, The top line there, right? Not the bottom. But either way, you understand he's not random. He's purposeful. He made you on purpose for a purpose. Then it kind of seems like you ought to figure that out, right? That'd be part of the secret of life. Yep. Have you ever come across an object and you're like, I have no idea what that is or what that's for? I mean, you're probably at your grandparents' house, right? <laughs> or, or maybe you were looking at your dad's tools in the garage or something like that. Or, or maybe you're a husband looking in your wife's medicine cabinet. There's no way 30 bottles have a purpose. Oh, they do? They do? <laughs> oh, having a, all those things in the shower, you're like, who needs a-? They all have a purpose, evidently, right? Or, or you find one of these things. What is that? <laughs> oh, that's for curling eyelashes? They make something for that? <laughs> evidently they do, right? Reminds me of this scene from The Little Mermaid. Watch this. Gettle, look what we found. Yeah, we're in this sunken ship. It was really creepy. Human stuff, huh? Hey, let me see. Look at this. Wow. This is special. This is very, very unusual. What? What is it? It's a hopper. Humans use these little babies to straighten their hair out. See? Just a little twirl here and a yank there. Boy, oh, like... Yeah, I got an aesthetically pleasing configuration of hair that humans go nuts over. <laughs> a dinglehopper. tingle See, a a fork uh, makes a terrible comb. But unless you actually know what a dinglehopper was created for, things aren't going to go well. Now, here's what I want to say to you. You are a dinglehopper. It's like, dude, watch your language, man. You want to take this out back? I'm serious. You are a hopper. Hopper, absolutely you are. You were made by God on purpose for a purpose. You are a fork. But here's what's going to happen. The seagulls of the world who are clueless about your purpose. The world is a seagull. It's clueless about It's confused, but it is bold, and, and it is willing to tell you what your purpose is. And it's dead wrong. It's dead wrong. You are not a comb. You're a fork. You're a dinglehopper. Now, what I'm saying is, God made you on purpose, right? And success in life is figuring out that purpose. But to do that, you've got to turn towards God, right? Because the, the seagulls of the world will certainly lie to you. And they'll tell you something else but if you want to know why something was made ask its creator ask its creator right the creator will tell you and your creator is God himself you were created by God on purpose for a purpose and so investigating this area we ought to start with God what is God up to what does God want what is the purpose of creation What is the purpose of humanity? Why did God create us? And to answer that, you really got to start to sort through Genesis chapters one and two, the creation of humanity. And and what you discover is three things humanity was created, yes, for a purpose. Number one, to worship God. See, we are to take our place with all of the created order to reflect the glory of our creator right back to him. Worship is broad, but we worship God. And then secondly, we're to be like him. Not that we too are God, but we are made in his image, right? And and so he says, be holy because I am holy. And then he gives us these commands that we're to obey them so that we are like him. And then thirdly, we're supposed to represent him on earth he gave humanity dominion over creation over the garden we were to be his regents his representatives in the created order so so there is the purpose of humanity and of course it didn't take long for that to go sour right we quickly abandoned our purpose dinglehopper We started doing other stuff, and and it went to hell, literally, quickly. Jesus wasn't okay with it. So Jesus comes to redeem some people for his own possession. That's where we get Christians, disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. Okay, So, so he died for us. He rose for us. He calls us. He draws us. He adopts us. Why? Why does God want Christians? What is the purpose? What is your purpose? Because remember, God is not random. God is doing things on purpose, for a purpose. What is the purpose of Christians? Right back to the garden. It's the same stuff. We are supposed to worship God to reflect his glory. You understand? Just to know God. Is to be overwhelmed by him and, and, and worship his foot. We're not just supposed to stand ho hum in service and call worship. No, we worship God. And, and then secondly, we're supposed to be like him. We're supposed to be disciples, not consumers, conform to the image of Christ, growing in that relationship. And then thirdly, we're supposed to represent God on earth. We are to be on mission, expanding the kingdom of God. That is still our purpose. In fact, you know, coincidentally, look at this. Know God means you worship him. Grow in your relationship with him means you become like him. And go advance his kingdom means we represent him. You could think of our mission statement as a purpose statement for Christians. This is what we're supposed to do. That's our purpose. My fear is that many Christians don't know their purpose. Or if they know it, they certainly don't live it. Unfortunately, I think many have bought into the seagull's lie that plagues Christianity. And they've bought a false purpose. And I will call it family-oriented Christianity. Some of y'all are about to get mad family-oriented Christianity. The idea is this, that God has called you to live nice and safe, to have your needs met, shoot, really most of your wants because a slice of the American dream comes in, uh, at least in our country. And so the goal is to have this nice, moral, nuclear family. Your kids grow up nice and safe, Uh, Certainly, they don't have sex before marriage. That's part of the purpose here. And and then you want your kids to grow up and get a good job so that they can get a slice of the American pie, uh, the American dream as well. And then then you retire, and you play with your grandkids. Family-oriented Christianity. So the the organizing principle, the, the purpose statement for most Christians is have a nice, moral, nuclear family with a lot of Christian religion involved. And I'll be honest with you, there are a lot of good things I mentioned, but as a purpose statement, as an organizing principle for Christianity, it is dead wrong. That is Scuttle the Seagull talking. And he has no clue what he's talking about. Because the Bible doesn't say that stuff. Instead, Jesus throws down bombs like this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That just doesn't sound like family-oriented Christianity to me. Right? And Jesus said hard things like this, and people bounced. They're like, I'm out. And yet Jesus kept saying stuff like that. You read the Bible, particularly the New Testament, you do not come away with family-oriented Christianity. You come away with kingdom-oriented Christianity, mission-oriented Christianity. God is on the go, he's got a goal, he's got a mission, he's got a purpose. And he calls us to join him, to go with him on this wild adventure, on this mission. If you want to know your purpose, you have to ask your creator why he made you. And to know that, you've got to know what he is all about, and therefore why he created you and why he called you to be his own. Sadly, I think think most Christians are doing kiddie pool Christianity. You know those little circular plastic blue about this high kiddie pool things? And they're really fun for splashing around in if you're five. But they're not appropriate if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. Kitty pool Christianity is a real thing. For from probably most people in this room, I'll be honest. I went to El Salvador one time. I was scouting out a potential ministry partner, and uh, it didn't work out. Uh, but great ministry, no big. But while I was there, it was the time of year when I usually do my own personal retreat, where I just get alone, me and Jesus, and do evaluation. And I'm like. So I could fly back from El Salvador and have my retreat. Or, <laughs> or I could just stay an extra day in El Salvador and go to the beach, which is what I did. So I went to the beach, and I found a hotel, and uh, I, I had some great time with the Lord. But while I was there, I thought, you know what? There's a the beach. Might as well go do some body surfing. I didn't even have some swim trunks, put on some shorts, whatever. But I went over there. <clears throat> what I didn't know is that this area... On the globe is one of the best surfing areas. Like the surfers are cautious with it, right? I'm like, man, look at those waves. Yeah, let's try it. You know, let's go. I got pummeled. So I've never been pummeled like this. Forced down, hit the bottom, flipped, tossed. I mean, I like crawled up onto the beach, cough, <laughs> just sputtering and all that. I picked myself up. I grabbed my stuff. I, I'm like stumbling up the beach. It wasn't very wide, but then there was a road and the hotel was on the other side and I, I was up on a second floor so I climbed the steps and I, I'm so disoriented I drop my keys. I bend over to pick up the keys and seawater starts coming out my nose. How has that been there though? I'm like freaked out. I grab the keys, I go in, I go to the bathroom, I lean over the sink. It still comes out again. I was just like so flipped around but I'll tell you what, I would rather do that Than splash around in a kiddie pool. You were made for the deep. You were made for the big waves. That's why your Creator created you. He didn't make you for a kiddie pool. Let's stop doing kiddie pool Christianity. Let's go do wild and confusing and dangerous and adventurous. This is our God is on the go. Let's go with Him. You see, Jesus didn't die and rise and call you and adopt you so that you could live kiddie pool. Christianity, it's not why he did it. He says things like, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I mean, we're not just going to hang out and have a church service, God. No, we're going to go be fishers of men. He he says, go therefore and make disciples. You want to live your life on purpose. You have to know why God created you and why God called you. Many of us ask the question, what is God's plan for my life? Wouldn't you love to know, what is God's plan for my life? Wrong question. What if you started asking, what is God's plan? And how does my life fit into it? See how that shifted? What is God's plan and how does my life fit into it? I, my life is just this minor little subplot in human history. He's got a big, big story. And the way a story works well is the subplot serves the main plot. Does my subplot serve his big story? So, so we've got a God who's on the go and I want to go with him. So I have to ask, where is God going? And I'll give you a hint. It's not the kiddie pool. It's not kiddie pool Christianity. That's not it. God is on the go. So here's what I'm saying. God made you on purpose, so live your life on purpose. Figure out, knowing your purpose. That's the best life possible. Otherwise, you're just a stupid dinglehopper being misused. You don't know your purpose. You're not living it out. You were created for a purpose. Don't listen to the seagulls of this world. Don't try to use a fork as a comb. It's your life you're talking about. Now, I'll give you a little bit of a hint where we are thus far in my message today. So far, we've been talking about why we are here. What I want to do now is talk about why you are here. Like you specifically you uniquely. Because God didn't just create us, He created you. And that was a willful decision, a purposeful decision. Look at Acts 13, verse 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Just meaning that his body went into the ground and died. That's all that means. But what you see there is David was specifically, intentionally, purposefully created for God. For a time, for a place, for a unique purpose. And that's not just King David. That's you too. And you get a hint of that in Romans chapter 12. Starting in verse 4 it says... For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Look at this. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Kind of sounds like there at the end that God expects us to figure out our unique build, And he expects us to use it. I mean, God made you on purpose. He made you specifically. He he made you uniquely, and you got to figure that out. And what it goes on to say is, talks about some spiritual gifts. Now, listen, your unique build is broader than just spiritual gifts. Like, some of you took a spiritual gifts test, right, 5, 10, 20 years ago. And, And for most of us, we came out of that thing more confused than when we went in, Right? I have the gift of helps. What's that mean? What is is discernment and profit? And they got these weird definitions and we're all confused. And listen, your unique design is, yes, it includes gifting from the spirit, but it is broader than just that. You were handcrafted by the greatest artist ever. And he doesn't have a limited palette of only three primary colors he's got this full palette and he's a great great artist and he made you on purpose speaking of God being an artist look at Ephesians 2.10 it says for we are his workmanship a pause there the word workmanship in the Greek is poema do you hear poem it's where we get the word poem. It's art. It's a masterpiece. That's the workmanship. It's a masterpiece could fit in there for workmanship. Okay? So now, we, we are his poema. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are a unique, amazing piece of art created by the best artist ever. You are created with purpose, and he has stuff that he wants you to do. Two years ago, I started to dig into this stuff in my own life. Saying, God, what did you make me to do? What did you put within me? What do you want from me? What is my purpose? You're thinking well you're a pastor oh no, no no you misunderstood me I know what my job is I hope my purpose is related to my job but my, my design my purpose is broader than just a job my, my purpose ought to be going on when I'm off the job when I'm at home well, someday if I retire like my purpose should still be going on And so I started to ask people around me and spend a lot of time with God saying, God, what is my unique purpose? How have you made me? And several things popped out. I'll share one of them with you. Just to give you an example from my life. God revealed to me I am a builder fixer. It's innate within me and I use it in many, many different areas. So definitely I use it at this church. Sometimes I literally mean I fix things. Just last week, uh, during first service, I'm up here preaching. During that service, the sink in the south kitchen broke. I found out about it in between services. I went and I fixed the plumbing. I'm looking at the clock going, I think I need to go preach again. But, all right, Now you're thinking, okay, dude, the church is big enough. I think somebody else could do it. Of course somebody could. I wanted to. It's innate within me. I love fixing things. In fact, my staff team has heard me joke about my retirement plan. Here's my retirement plan. We have a uh, direct, uh, excuse me uh, facility manager, Jake Fitzpatrick. Love Jake. Here's my retirement plan. Day one, fire Jake. <laughs> Day two, post the position. Day three, retire. Day four, you see, I thought this out. Day four, apply for the position. It's just so shady. But that's my goal, right? That's my goal in life. I love fixing things. But of course, it's broader than that. It's not just physical. Like, I, I love building the church. I love when things run well. I love when it is effective and efficient and sustainable. Uh, there are many more problems than just plumbing in the church. And, and I love fixing them. I'm a builder fixer and our church is being- has been using that. But it's not just here. It's also at home. I love working with my hands at home. I have secret doors in my house. Kid you not. I've I've got uh, I built Shannon this beautiful live edge desktop. I'm jealous of it. Now I'm working on one for my own study. I I, I love working with my hands, and then I built systems, processes for for my house and my family, and and they roll their eyes, but they truly love it, I I think. (laughs) I'm not sure, right? And it's not just church and home. I go into a hotel room. I fix things in the hotel room. It's ridiculous. I, I, I can't stop it. I'm good at it. I love it. I love making things better. You see, there's a unique design inside of me that I use in many different areas. Yes, I leverage it as a pastor, but it's on. It's just switched on, and I can't turn it off. It's part of me. If I retire someday from the pastorate, that will still be going on in my life, largely at home, and Shannon will be homicidal. Okay? Like, seriously, if I die shortly after I retire, please suspect Shannon. Okay? Like, look into that. I'm just saying, look into that, okay? That's me. What about you? What about you? God made you on purpose so live your life on purpose look at this christianity stuff is bullcrap let's turn off the lights lock the doors get out of here never come back but if this stuff is true then god has a purpose for you and it seems like it just might be worth figuring that one out right questions to ask why are we here? What is God's big story? And how can my life fit into his big story? Will I leverage my life to serve his big story? So why are we here? But also, why are you here? What has God uniquely made you to be? He created you uniquely, specifically, intentionally. He wanted you in this, or, this created order. Why? Why? I want you to live your life on purpose what a shame it would be to listen to the seagull of the world not know the purpose of your life misuse your life or to, to adopt false and just drift just drift that's the default mode in a fallen order if you don't fix it you'll just drift and God didn't create you die for you rise for you call you, adopt you, so that you could drift. Earn some money, raise some kids, enjoy some hobbies, go to church, try not to cuss, (coughs) die. That's drifting. You are his poema. You are his masterpiece, his art, created with unique and amazing design, figure that out, live that out. And to help you do that, we came up with a uh, tool. It's just simply five questions. If you're like, that text is too small, because I don't want you to read it now. Okay? Uh, I want you to get that QR code. I want you to save that link. I want you to do, I want everyone who calls this place home to do this this week to get some time alone with God where you sort through these five questions. I want you to have a notebook and a pen or a laptop or whatever, and I want you to ask these questions, sort through it with God, and write it down. Why? Because God made you on purpose. So live your life on purpose. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. Thank you for being such an amazing artist. Thank you for the grace. Lord, you didn't need me. You didn't need any one of us, and yet, by your own will, you specifically chose to create each person in this room. Thank you for that grace, but Father God, would you help us now? Because we have listened for far too long to the seagulls of the world who have no clue but want to dictate purpose to us. And we want to come to you right now and let you dictate purpose to us so that we could live our life on purpose. Take us there, Lord, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.